You're listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We'll be joined by experts who will help us understand current issues and resources available to those diagnosed with blood cancer. Holidays and, you know, those things are, are, mean so much more now than they did prior to cancer entering our lives. This may potentially be a cure for some patients. We'll also be speaking with patients and caregivers who will share their cancer journey with us to better understand life after diagnosis and let you know you're not alone. Beforehand, my job was to earn a living for my family. My wife said to me, your job now is to live. And that's what I'm doing. I'm living my life the way I want to live it. And I'm really enjoying it. It's a much more fulfilling life. Everything that I knew, I didn't know anymore. That defense mode. We're survivors. Like... But they're probably not the questions that you want answered. So, yeah, writing them down for us is important because of our chemo brain. Let's get started. Welcome to the Bloodline with LLS. I'm Shona. Today we are on location in Denver, Colorado, at CancerCon. And for those who don't know, CancerCon is a conference held every year by Stupid Cancer which is an organization that provides support to young adults and adolescents who are currently either diagnosed with cancer or who are cancer survivors. And today I'm very excited to be joined by Melanie Satelsky, who's a therapist at the Colorado Cancer Counseling in Arvada, Colorado. Melanie, thank you so much for taking your time out of your schedule to join me on site for this episode of the LLS Bloodline. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so excited to talk today. I'm very excited to talk to you too. One thing I've noticed from my work at LLS and also from being on site at this conference and talking to young adults an issue that keeps arising over and over again is the issue of mental health. And I think it's very important that you know we talk about it and allow our listeners to hear your perspective on you know, mental health and especially mental health with young adults, survivors. Yes, I'm so glad you guys wanted to talk about this topic because I think it's so important and people don't talk about it enough. I think there's a lot of sometimes embarrassment or shame or self-judgment that if people could just be a little bit stronger, they could make it through. But I just want people to know it's so normal to be strong struggling through a cancer diagnosis, and there are so many resources. So I hope we get to all of that to talk about what's available for people. Absolutely. So let's start by um, just getting a little bit into your background and your story. What piqued your interest in this particular field? Yeah, so this is this topic is a total passion for me, and it's really personal um, because I was diagnosed with a blood cancer when I was 29. I had been married for just a year. We had just celebrated our first wedding anniversary, and I was diagnosed with AML, acute myeloid leukemia, and of course it you know, turned everything on its head. And for me, the physical part of going through blood cancer, and I, and I had a, a transplant also, it was enormous but I really felt like the emotional part of it was such a burden, and I came out of that really wanting to learn more about how I could make myself healthy, how I could keep focused and on track for such a long diagnosis. You know, I was dealing with this for years of uh, doctor's appointments and medication, and, and just how to stay in a good place mentally was so important, and then I wanted to find out a way to, to be able to pass that on. So I got my degree in uh, counseling psychology, and I started my private practice Colorado Cancer Counseling, and I specialize in helping people through a cancer diagnosis. So it's absolutely my passion, and like I said, it's, it's just so important. That's really great. I know with my work at LLS, I've you know been in contact with patients who say 
you know, I have a therapist, but they're not a cancer therapist and they just kind of don't get it. Mm -hmm. So, and then when they find a therapist that kind of understands their journey a little bit more and their unique needs, they seem to do much better. So yeah. And, and I think it's, it's hit or miss. And um, I kind of say that finding the right therapist is almost like dating where you're not necessarily going to find the right person on the first or second try. So you absolutely can find a good therapist who doesn't have a background in cancer, but sometimes that really makes the difference. It's, it's a different language. It's really understanding those unique needs. So I really encourage people if they say, oh, I tried to find a therapist and it just didn't really work out. Like keep, keep looking. You know, you're going to find different personality, different methodology. And yeah, that background in cancer is can sometimes really make the big difference. What are some of those unique needs regarding mental health that a cancer survivor might have compared to the general population? Yeah, well, especially because we're at the we're at CancerCon with all these young people. I think the young adults have this totally different journey because um, I think everybody's everybody might have this experience of feeling like life is passing you by after a cancer diagnosis. Um, it just seems like you are stuck in this place of illness and doctors and medication, and everybody else just gets to keep living their life. But it is. I think exponential with with young adults because think of all like the foundational things that are happening at this time of life, right? You're you're starting your career. You might be making big advances and and promotions and really getting uh, on your career track. You're finding a partner for for life. You're starting a family. Um, all these things that are the big decisions in your life are all happening, and all of a sudden you are completely cut off from that, and you you're at this standstill. So I think. All of those things with with young people can just really add to the the mental health aspect of a cancer diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing that I've noticed, and this was actually brought up in our blood cancer session here at CancerCon, this kind of phenomenon that happens when, you know, someone is in the trenches of cancer treatment and they're in survival mode and they're, you know, surrounded um, by a support system. And then when treatment stops, is when these mental health issues kind of arise and they might experience depression, they might experience anxiety, and they also might experience guilt for feeling depression and anxiety because they think, hey, you know, my treatment's over, I should be happy, but I'm not. And I've noticed that seems to happen quite a bit. Yes, okay, so I heard some somebody say something once. They said, the two worst days for a cancer patient, the first is when the day that you hear you have cancer. The second worst day for a cancer patient is the day that they hear you're done with treatment and you don't need to come back anymore. And I think when people first hear that, you think that is, that's crazy, right? Because most people just can't wait to get rid of their doctor's appointments and get back to life. But when you think about it, you have been completely supported and surrounded for months of treatment. Um, You've probably rarely been alone for, for months and all of a sudden someone's telling you you're done and you can go go back to the quote, the life that you used to have, but you're not the same person that you were before. And so there is a real vulnerability at that end of treatment. I think the dust starts to begin to settle and you realize that you've gotten really good at surviving, but you've forgotten how to live sometimes. And so that part post-treatment can be so vulnerable because you're going from being sick back into being healthy. And that's a huge transition for people. And then exactly like you said, there's all this kind of self-judgment at that point of like, wait, I don't have cancer anymore. I'm not sick anymore. So why am I feeling depressed? I shouldn't feel that way. And so I think there's that 
added self-judgment of not wanting to reach out because they don't understand, like, I should just be able to be back on track by now. But it's so normal. I, a lot of my clients I see months or even years out of treatment because that's what the time that they finally have that time to reflect and try and process all of that and try and integrate this huge experience that they've had into, okay, who am I now? What do I do now? Because life's going to look a lot different. So when this occurs, what type of psychological disorder specifically do you tend to see? Yeah, so we talk a lot about differentiating between just sadness, which I think so many cancer patients experience, and and stress and fear, and more kind of clinical diagnoses like depression and anxiety, Um, and even post-traumatic stress disorder. There's a lot of research to show that cancer patients can have um, a real trauma response to going through something like this. So when I'm kind of teasing out with, with my clients and people I see, there's really a difference between just the, the normal things that you're going to experience and then something where you really need to seek help. And so some of the normal things are just feeling sad and tired and feeling worried and fearful. Uh, there's a lot of, there's something called test anxiety or scanxiety where you're actually getting anxious before one of your upcoming bone marrow biopsies or scans. So there's all those natural processes of getting really worried. And then I think there's something more serious when if you're feeling sad all the time or you're really feeling like you are not living your best life, like your emotional distress is really keeping you from living a good quality of life, that's when I really encourage people to reach out for help. Whether that's just a trusted friend or a professional, you know, there's so many resources out there to get help. And then I think thinking about death, is a really common thing for people. Of course, when you are diagnosed with cancer, it is so natural to think about your own death. But if you are really thinking about suicide, you absolutely need to reach out for help and tell someone. Absolutely, I agree completely. And I just want our listeners to know that if you ever feel like you're in a crisis or that you need someone to talk to right away, that there is a hotline you can call, 1-800-273-8255, and that's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and it's always there for you 24 hours a day. So Melanie, you mentioned being tired, and that's something that I really want to talk to you about. I had a young lady come up to me at the conference, and she said, you know, I just want to know when does this end, the fatigue? When does it end? It's been two years and I'm still feeling tired every day. And then it got me thinking, you know, when I'm tired, I am definitely more susceptible to feeling, you know, depressed and anxious. So how does the fatigue of going through cancer treatment and beyond cancer treatment, how does that affect a person's mental health? Yeah, fatigue is such a common symptom and it can be overwhelming. I remember in my own treatment, I had this moment where I I was in the hospital for my bone marrow transplant and another doctor came in, you know, you're bombarded with people visiting all the time. And I realized I am so tired, I can't even make eye contact with the person. I couldn't even lift my eyes to meet someone's gaze. I mean, that, I didn't even know that that kind of fatigue was even possible. And so it's, it's so normal and it affects everything you do. And one thing is, I think people, uh, they underestimate how long it takes to get your strength back. When you're weaning off of medications and you're getting further out from your treatment, you just expect that you're going to be back to who you used to be, that kind of strength and that kind of energy, doing all those old activities. But it takes so much longer to get back to to where you used to be. And so, yeah, in the meantime, you're dealing with that kind of 
chicken or the egg thing where are you fatigued because you are suffering from depression or are you uh, you're not feeling well because you're so tired and it's hard to kind of sort that out I always tell you know everybody to be talking about those symptoms with your oncologist because they can be helping you tweak some medications if or at least you know letting you know what's contributing to any of those symptoms like fatigue and then hopefully referring you to other resources like there's lots of fitness classes that are special for cancer patients so they're really modified to where your what your fitness level is coming out of treatment or maybe there's different support groups that take you outside for walks and um, gentle hikes so what are the ways you can start getting back your energy but still being kind to your body and just taking your time because it's going to take a long time to get back to where you used to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that fatigue can be one of the long-term side effects of chemotherapy or, or different cancer treatments. And there's also a lot of other long-term side effects that especially young adult cancer survivors might have to go through. You know, there's graft-versus-host disease if you've had a bone marrow transplant. You know, treatment for Hodgkin's disease can lead to years of follow-up scans to make sure you're not contracting secondary cancers. So how does this kind of life with these long-term side effects kind of affect the day-to-day life of a cancer survivor? I think that's why the mental health aspect is so important because uh, you're just talking about such a long-term journey. It's so long. And so how do you keep up your, your mental stamina? How do you keep moving forward when it feels like it's such slow progress and you're getting setbacks along the way? So how do you keep going? And one thing I think is I really talk about the adapting some mindfulness skills for people about how to really stay in the present moment to not get too far in the future of um, wondering what's going to happen. What if this graft versus host just gets worse and worse? What if my cancer comes back? What if this treatment didn't work? All those ways that we stay in the future and then all the regret that we have from the past, just like, how did I get here? You know, what did I do wrong to end up with cancer? So that's all the kind of emotional burden and we put on ourselves. So using some mindfulness skills to come back to the present moment, that can be really helpful. I know that after my treatment, when things would go wrong in life, as they always do, I'd have these setbacks and I'd have this real feeling of being really angry about that saying, but I went through my big struggle. I overcame my my thing in life. So life should be easy now, right? And that's just not the truth, right? That life is constantly going to be throwing these, these curveballs at you. And so if you can develop these kind of skills to keep your, um, just to regulate those emotions, to have some mindfulness skills, to stay in the present moment, how to keep your, your mental health in the best place that you can, you're just going to be more equipped to deal with these kind of storms that life is going to throw at you. So I think... None of us had the the choice of whether to have cancer, but you absolutely do have the choice of how you're going to deal with this. How are you going to face each of these crises that come in your life? You can really find the meaning and the purpose, and it can be be something that you're really saying, yes, I have to deal with this, but I'm going to figure out how I can use this experience to really become my best self. So we were talking earlier, you were saying that, you know, after a cancer diagnosis, you're not the same person that you were before and you kind of have to figure out this new side of yourself. So how does that tie in with things like sexuality and dating? And I know things like, you know, body image changes 
can affect that as well. And there was a, a lady on the panel this morning, and she said that you know after she was diagnosed and went through treatment, she decided to jump back into the dating scene, and she started swiping right on Tinder. And then she had to stop and take a step back and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to date anymore because I don't really know who I am anymore after going through this. So I, if I don't know who I am, how can I possibly start to date somebody new? Yeah, I think... So there's a couple different parts of that. I think, first of all, absolutely, you have to find out who you are on the other side of cancer. And one thing I just want to tell everybody, is I absolutely believe that there is a life worth fighting for. And and I think the real beautiful opportunity in something so horrible is that through a cancer diagnosis, you become so clear about what's important in your life. And it becomes really apparent what's working in your life and what's not working. So in that time, you're going to look around. Are the people around you the people that you want around you? Are you doing with your life what you really want to do? And it's going to become really clear. And so then after cancer, I think the real opportunity is to start pulling all those things that you really love closer to you and get rid of the rest. The, you know, Don't sweat the small stuff. Let that stuff go. And so you have this chance to recreate your life and really live, I think, a more authentic and more purposeful uh, living. And that is, I think, the real gift in being young with cancer is you have your whole life now to live more on track with who you really, that your potential and, and who you really are more authentically. So that's the really cool part. I think where people get caught up after cancer is that I hear this a lot, that people say, I should just be happy to be alive. I know I should just be grateful to be alive. But there's more I want out of life. And I see this a lot with sexuality and body image. People say that should just be kind of a peripheral thing. So I'm not going to bring that up with my oncologist. I'm not going to bring up that I'm having, you know, painful intercourse after a treatment or a transplant. I'm not, I've lost my libido. I, you know, I'm not feeling like I'm connected to my partner. I'm not, not ready to be on the dating scene yet. Or I've gained all this weight from steroids or maybe lost all this weight from chemo. And um, I don't look like myself. And I I have scars all over and I, maybe I still have a pore in. There's tons of body images that aren't going to make you feel insecure. But again, people are hesitant to bring it up because they don't think that's in the big picture of still being alive and healthy, that maybe that's not important. And so I push people so hard to be their own advocate that you have to know that there's a life worth fighting for. And so that absolutely means having a healthy sexual life and a healthy dating life and socially and doing the things that really make you happy. So if there are things in your life that are lacking and you feel like this is missing from me being the best person I can be and the happiest I can be, you absolutely need to tell your your doctor and and insist that you not only want to survive, but you want to have a good quality of life too. Yeah, and I think it's really important that, you know, our listeners know that it's okay to feel this way. It's normal and completely acceptable to, you know, have these moments where you're concerned about, you know, your physical changes and you're concerned about body image. You know, what I've seen sometimes on our online patient support forum is people will ask questions like, how did you get through summer with wigs? And and then they almost kind of apologize for asking that question. It's like, I know that's kind of silly, or I know that's kind of superficial, but it matters to me. And, you know, it's it matters to everyone, and it's okay that it matters to you. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, that there's no judgment about the, the parts of your journey that have been really important and the parts that you need in your life to make you feel like your happiest self. Yeah, absolutely. 
so I also I know you're really excited to share some resources with our um, with our bloodline listeners. Is there anything in particular that you're that you want to share with us? I just wanted to emphasize how many resources are out there for people who, if you're kind of out there and you're on the fence and you're thinking, I, I am struggling a little bit. I think I could use some extra support. Um, I'm a therapist by training, so of course I'm biased. I think everybody could use a little bit of extra support, but in whatever avenue you want. So there's lots of different resources. If you feel like you would benefit from talking to a therapist or a social worker, there are, first of all, I just say to ask your cancer clinic. A lot of clinics and hospitals have their own therapists on, on staff or social workers that you can talk to. They might also have resources for the community. So they could say, here's a list of therapists in the community that we work with and we can give you a referral to them. So that's good to get a, a personal recommendation. If you want to use your insurance to to cover therapy, which a lot of people do, you, you can ask your insurance company to see a list of their preferred providers or approved providers to use your insurance benefits. And if you're in an area that you don't have access to a therapist or you haven't really found the right person, there's also places you can go online, on the phone, and in person to find support. Cancercare.org and Be The Match Patient Support Center has social workers you can talk to on the phone. Another form of support that a lot of people like is uh, a peer-to-peer contact. So, so sometimes you just want to talk to someone else who's been through it. So Leukemia and Lymphoma Society has a great resource for this. It's called the Patty Robinson Kaufman First Connection Program. So you're actually going to be matched with somebody who has a similar age, similar diagnosis, and a similar treatment plan. So you can actually talk to someone who's walked this path before you. That can be really valuable. There's also a lot of support groups available. So some people really like the dynamic of a, of a support group where this is one of the only places in people's lives where you can be in this whole group of people who can really say, I know what you're going through. So there's support groups that are disease-specific, or I know LLS has uh, blood cancer, general blood cancer support groups for family members and patients. And sometimes you can find things that are specific to something you're interested in, like young adults have a lot of uh, specific resources. You can have support groups that are specific to transplant or GBHD or something specific to your cancer journey. Absolutely. Um, LLS does offer in-person support groups, and I encourage our listeners to reach out to your local chapter for the dates and times. If you, and if you'd prefer you know, something more virtual, we do offer online chats, and we offer an online patient support forum called the LLS Community. That can all be found on our website, or you can call our information specialists at 800-955-4572, and they can answer any of your questions regarding diagnosis and treatment or any of the services that LLS offers. Yeah, so those are all available for for more support. And again, I think it's just so valuable to talk to other people who have been through it. And there's also organizations, cancer nonprofits and other community organizations that, um, like I mentioned before, they go on hikes and retreats. And there's so many ways to be involved with other people who understand and just a really great supportive community. And if anyone out there is on the fence about just needing some extra support. There's all these different avenues. Just find what works for you. Keep looking for the right group or the right person. And I think it can make such a difference. The support and these tools, it makes the difference of going through cancer with fear and anxiety to transforming it into something that can be really beautiful and positive and supported and then really meaningful in your life. So absolutely reach out for support if, if that is helpful to you.
And I like how you mentioned that there's so many different avenues. So it's kind of like, you know, finding a therapist. It's, you know, if, if you don't, if you went to an in-person support group and it wasn't for you, try an online chat. You maybe you would prefer talking to people from the comfort of your own home. So there's different ways that you can get support and different ways that you can reach out. And some, a theme that I've been encountering over and over again this weekend is that it's, it's always okay to ask for help. And it's, it can be one of the, the biggest steps that you make in your survivorship journeys. I think if there's one thing that people could take away, it's that you're, if you're struggling with this, you are not alone. People don't talk about it enough. We've talked about this before where you, somebody might just um, kind of be embarrassed about bringing up something, but then you see all these people jump in and say, oh, I'm so glad you said it. I thought it was just me going through it. And and it's it's not. I think part of, part of this journey is just normalizing those emotions. If you're struggling with this, you are, you're not alone and there is so much help available. I absolutely agree with that. And I see it all the time um, online at LLS. Um, someone will ask a question about mental health and people just jump in saying, I went through the same thing. It, it, it'll get better. Um, but you know, just, just ask for help. You're right. You're definitely not alone. So thank you so much for joining me on this episode, Melanie. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. And thank you for listening to The Bloodline with LLS. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We can be found on iTunes and other great podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.thebloodline.org. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Until next time.